Hey, everybody. How's it going? I hope this sounds good. I can't really tell exactly uh, because we were engineering as we were recording and we're doing our best. But I am Michael Unterberg, host of Jerusalem U, JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge. Getting mixed up on the brands there, Mike. I know. Better than mixing up my last name. I know that's more embarrassing. Goldfarb. Uh, we are uh, here. We are the. We are the. I was trying to come up with something like Unteraller or something. I couldn't think of something like. Yeah. By the way, buy new listener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we should start over. No, that's all right. Uh, welcome to the JU Israel the Teachers Lounge, where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel and hopefully give you some insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Utterberg, as always with the now <laughs> really too quiet co-host, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going okay. And we have here at the table in our third chair, our first time appearance of full-time teacher, Matt Lippman. How's it going, Matt? It is going great. I'm very excited to be here with you this afternoon. Matt, where are you from? I'm originally from London, and I now live in Modian, uh, and I also lived in America for four years in Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh, wow. So you're quite uh, cross-continental. Uh, you could say that. Yes, I guess so. All right. Fair enough. Uh, we thought that we would do... This is like a big anniversary year, as Alan pointed out in a previous episode, and then gave it all sorts of Kabbalistic meaning. <laughs> uh, this is the... Uh, I'm, I'm surprised you remembered that. Okay. I, I listen to things you say. I just don't <laughs> listen to me. That's good, because uh, I listen to you and I'll listen to me. <laughs> that's why we work. Uh, so it's the 70th... This year is the 70th anniversary of the UN resolution to create a Jewish state. It's the it will be the 70th anniversary of the state of Israel. It was in that episode we were talking about the 120th anniversary of Balfour. No, no, 120th of the first Zionist uh, Congress. Uh, first Zionist Congress, correct, and the hundredth of Balfour. Balfour. This will be in November 2nd. Right. So we're actually not going to talk about Balfour right now. Nope. We are going to talk about Mosaic. Posted an article which I will append to this, which uh, pointed out that this is also the 80th anniversary of the Peel Commission report and its recommendation uh, for a two-state solution. So we thought we would uh, discuss that and its relevance to today, what, it, what there is of it. Um, Alan, could you, as our uh, sort of uh, summarizer-in-chief, can you please give us just a, a brief insight into what the Peel Commission was in 1937? So um, basically, as we've mentioned, and we'll talk about more um, coming up to the Balfour Declaration, um, that uh, post-World War I began, uh, you could say, a sizable and distinguishable um, uh, Aliyah movement, uh, migration of Jews mostly from Europe um, to, uh, to Palestine or to Israel. And those get different names, like the third, fourth, and fifth aliot. Um, and as we get more and more into the 1930s with the rise of Nazism, so it also causes uh, a spike in the numbers of Aliyah and also of growth and development of the land of Israel. That's when we really talk about the major development. In other words, before so World Jews War are I, pouring into the British Mandate of Palestine by the yeah. tens of thousands. And yeah. pretty explicitly, 
they're seeking to one day make Actually, it into a Jewish been, state. Yeah, we've been talking about in the hundreds of thousands at this point yeah. because you're talking uh, in the 30s. We're talking about between 30, 30 and you know 30 and 39. We're talking about 250,000 immigrants already. So um, we're really talking about sizable. Uh, noticeable distinct distinctions, and that also brings with its development, brings a tremendous amount of development, cash flow, and with its also ups and downs of industry, economic turmoil, factories, but, right. but also factories, industry, and the development of the Israel, and uh, a clear, serious, um, uh, what we would state, what we call as state on the way, right? Medina Baderach. It's really the development of the state on the way. Proto state. Yeah. And um, and all the government has been established, which is the Jewish agency, is the proto-government. The Histadrut, the labor union. Labor, yeah, well, labor unions already go back to, to yeah, Second yeah. Aliyah. They go to Second Aliyah. Yeah, but yeah, we but have all this stuff is all... It's all happening. Um, we even, even militias. Had, and even militias and fractionalization of the Zionist movement, because we now have uh, Jabotinsky breaks off from the old... Right? We have a really growing uh, community here, which is, which is seriously pushing towards state, statehood. Um, and this brings with it uh, the Arab um, response in what we call uh, really whenever we see the spike in, in, in Aliyot, like in 1920, 1929, so we also see um, uh, a spike in Arab uh, violence against that. So you have the 1920 riots, which leads to the creation of the Haganah, the 1929 riots, which we all know about the Hebron massacre and what, ha- what have you. And 1936 begins what will be called, come to be called the, the Arab Revolt which is 1936 to 1939, where it's a real, real um, uh, revolt against, against British rule and, um, and, of course, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish growing proto-state. Um, and in that thing, you have the Jews and the Brits working together, really, for the most part. So, but, of course, the Brits having this, this mandate... Way, not only with economy. violence, but also with an economic boycott, which eventually... Yeah, economic boycott, unraveled. correct. Yeah. Economic boycott which was huge, but which actually affected the Arabs um, right. community more than did the Jews. Uh, you know, what we'd say in Polish, Balagan, right? And Alan, can I ask you a question? Did yeah. the Arabs at that time have their own uh, formal systems of government as well in the country, or less so? Were they also uh, on their way to a proto-government? No. No, not at all. They weren't on their way to proto-government. They had leadership, I would say, leadership that they had not had before, mostly in the guise of the Mufti. Um, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, Haj Amin al-Husseini, is the, is the power figure. But of course, in this revolt, the also revolt is against what we would call today, you know, the moderates. So um, who was conducting these attacks and the boycott and all these different things who was orchestrating all of that the mufti the mufti is the main guy behind well, he's, it. i don't know that he's coordinating you have uh, you have other yeah. you have other guerrilla leaders who are doing the actual right like he's not but, doing the hands on no but he's seen as the leader as the you know just as you say the spokesperson you know. leader yeah well he's going to get in trouble with the british he's going to be driven out yeah into exile because of his yeah. incitement of violence right and the and the backdrop of all of this which i think the mosaic article really leaves out and I think that this is the big problem do you recommend that people not read it I recommend people read it but we should know that it really leaves out um, the context of World War II coming it slightly mentions it but really this is all in the backdrop of what's happening with the Nazis and the Nazis also making inroads in the Middle East diplomatically like like the British and the French have and um, and panning to pan-Arabism um, like pan-Germanism and all that that kind of stuff it's all happening in that backdrop um, but the, but the British wanting to look the, the main idea for 
controlling a colony or a mandate is to have peace. You know, you want it quiet. And um, the British uh, working really within their own self-interest, like as any government should, sends a commission about how best to handle it. And so the Peel Commission um, comes in Israel. This, this is one. Of, this is one of a series of commissions that come yeah. to study it. That's what governments do. <clears throat> Excuse me. When they're faced with a difficult problem, you set a commission. They investigate the problem, and then and they, then they draw up recommendations. Yeah, I mean that. That's how it works. I mean, you got you know, you're, you're, you're how much resources you want to invest. You have soldiers who are dying, you know, are being killed. You have you know, it's, it's causing problems at home, like politically, economically, all those kinds of things. So they send the commission. The commission is uh, called Peel after the head of the commission. I forget his particular tough uh, job. It's Lord, point. yeah, but I forget. <laughs> he was from a first name. He was from a long line of Peels, just so you know. His predecessor, his ancestor. Sir Robert Peel set up the British police force, which oh, really? was why oh, they're called that. Bobbies oh. after Sir Robert Peel. Oh, that's Bobbies, that, there you I go. That the British, I thought you were actually setting up for a joke, like, you know, orange peels or something like that, but you were actually... I was giving you some serious information. Nice. Wow. Robert Peel, Sir Robert Peel, who set up the Bobbies. That's right. Cool. Um, and, and so in the end of the day, they, they make the first real recommendation of dividing the land between the um, Jewish... Uh, inhabitants and the, and the Arab inhabitants. I'll attach a map also to the post so people can look at it. But it, it, it gives the truth is the map is the most logical separation of the land I've ever had. Yeah, it basically gives like all the maps, like all the divisions are always based on demographics. So the overwhelming the demographics you mean where people live. Yeah, and where the, well people live in all sorts of places. You're talking about like. Cluster density, of yeah. Where, cluster yeah. density is of of the major the major groups groupings of the people, and so it basically gives the land where the Zionists had been settling, um, which is the coastal plain and the and the and the Galilee, the Western Galilee, basically, um, and then the eastern side it gives to the to the Arabs, and then with a corridor from eighty five percent, yeah, something like that, something like that. And uh, with a corridor from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which will be British-controlled. And why is that? Of course, Jerusalem being the holy site, Tel Aviv being a port. You know, by the way, that's a port that the Jews built because the previous, really, only port in the land was in Jaffa, which had been 4,000 years old. But, well, Akko. Right, and Akko, and Akko, and there was Akko also. Did the map but, take into account mixed cities between Jews and Arabs living together, or, or not really? Uh well, in the sense that, that, that like Haifa went to the to the Jews, I mean to the yeah to the Jews and um, and uh, I mean, Akko goes to the Jews. Akko is there, but it was on the coastal plain. Those, those are both plains. mixed cities. Yeah, coastal plain. I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of mixed cities in the Arab side because Hebron is clearly not well, anymore. The whole Jezreel Valley and the whole all the kibbutzim in the oh, south right. of the Kinneret are right. all going to go into the Arab area. And would it be? What did the commission envision would happen to the people who were living there if the Jews were living in Arab towns or Arabs were living in Jewish towns? I don't, I don't know that Peel had a recommendation for that. You, no. either have, you either have ethnic diversity in both states or you have a population transfer, which was also thought of as pretty normal at that well, those are two very contrasting options, but he didn't give a suggestion no. of which oh, no, one. You're, uh, no, I, no. I misspoke. The map, yeah, yeah. it's really the whole northern Galil yeah, yeah, yeah. goes to the so, Jews. yeah. Yeah, it goes to the Jews. All those basically where the Jews live goes to the Jews, and where you know where the Jews are goes to the Jews. And the Arabs are there, will stay there. Obviously, Nazareth Jews. I don't think there was ever a discussion of 
population transfer. And then the Arabs will be in there. Jews will, again, what happens to the Jews? Small, you know, there's maybe very small communities of Jews living around Bethlehem, you know, that area that's Arab, Kilo, what we call today, Gush Etzion. In the 30s, yeah. For sure. they're, but they're, they're, they're just tiny. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about, like, really... Well, like the, the couple hundreds that we you know, think of when we talk about that there was Jewish presence in Gush Etzion starts in the 40s. Right. There, was, there were well, attempts in the 20s and 30s that both failed correct. in the Gush Etzion area correct. because they were too far away. Right. They were remote outposts right. from the heavy Jewish settlement. Right. So I think anybody we're talking to, any Jews living in any of the Arab parts you're talking about, like, not a lot. Yeah, it is easier. I, I sound less stupid when the map's in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so that so Peel is really the, the it, it puts on the table the solution to the Arab Israel conflict in the land of sorry Arab Jewish conflict in the land of Palestine. Now it's a pretty. Um, is that really going to be a solution? Because it's a pretty tiny Jewish state. Is that gonna, uh, the, the, the the clouds of war are hovering over Europe and the Jews? Yeah, so, there are twelve million Jews in Europe, and yeah. the, and the clock is ticking. Is that going to satisfy? So, millions of fleeing Jews. What do you think, Matt? In terms of the size of the country, be, the way it was established. Yeah, I mean, I realize it's a little weird to talk about a map on a podcast, but hopefully, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening to no, seriously, if you, you have to look at the map. I think so. If you're driving, pull over. If you're doing the dishes, uh, dry, dry your hands first. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> well, well, no, look. We're clearly, talking about a very small part of the land. We're not yeah. talking about a huge. Look, I think something we yeah, have but to contextualize. I think context- these reflections at this point, you should take a look at them. Right, yeah. but I do think we have to contextualize that at this point, nobody knew just how bad the devastation in Eastern Europe was going to be. If you read the article in Mosaic. Or Western Europe. Or Western Europe. It talks in the article, it talks about the fact that the Jews had had certain civil rights taken away and, they, and things like that, but it didn't say that they were already subject to transportations and concentration camps, which Not they weren't yet. Well, exactly. So people didn't really know. So to start talking in the context of how bad it was going to get, I don't think anybody knew. Even Jabotinsky, when he was talking about we've got to save people's lives, he was talking about tens of thousands. He wasn't talking about hundreds of thousands. He wasn't talking uh, about millions. Jabotinsky, Jabotinsky at 37, 38, he's already... In his Yom Kippur letter. Yeah. Okay. He's, no, no, sorry, his Tisha above letter. His Tisha above letter. His Tisha above letter. No, his tisha, speech, speech. Speech. Yeah, which he's in printed. Warsaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His Tishabov speech in it's, Warsaw. It's, it's August of 37. And how many is he right? quoting? Because if I remember I correctly from the article, the article says he quoted tens of thousands, maybe maybe hundreds of thousands. Yeah. But we're not talking millions at this point. So Jabotinsky sure. says it's the 11th hour for, for, for Polish Jewry. Yeah, but I don't think anybody Nobody realized that. Right, exactly. So to say, ah, this country, this proposed land that Peel was proposing in his commission wouldn't be big enough, I don't think people realized just how desperate the situation was, how many people needed to get out straight away. And indeed, if people would be able to get out or did get or would get out at all or want to go out. So, yes, you say now it looks ridiculous that it was such a small parcel of land that was being offered. At the time, it seemed reasonable because it was an increase on what they had. They had nothing, basically. Well, had no state. well most people reject it. I mean, most right. people rejected right. it, so it's not reasonable, right? I don't know if it was re- reasonable in the sense that... But there was a sense that any foothold was important to grab. Which is what I think practical, practical, as the leader of, right. the, of the Jewish agency, which is the de facto proto-state yeah. government. Ben-Gurion says, okay, let's do it. At least that gives us a foothold. 
Uh, but and, most scientists and, are against it. With, with the goal of increasing then what they had. Yeah, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. And, and also it gives you, once you have, again, it, it, it is maybe a bit foreshadowing because they don't really don't know what's going to happen in Europe yet as much as they can think catastrophe is coming. Nobody can conceptualize that the catastrophe there will be though. But the fact that you have a land that you control immigration is is key, and they understand that because they've already been because because the, the the British have been backtracking on immigration, and by the end of the Arab Revolt, will shut down immigration into the land of Israel by Jews. Yeah, by thirty nine. By anybody, right? actually, in May of thirty nine, three months before the war, May of thirty nine, will be the White Paper that essentially uproots the Balfour Declaration, which essentially says. No more Jewish state. It's going to be a binational state. Balfour says um, Jewish home, and, and the white paper basically says it's not a Jewish home. Jews yeah. can't come here. Right. And it's good because we're going to limit immigration. We're going to make it so that there's always an Arab majority 10, in the land. 10,000 a year for five years 10, with 25,000 in, in the first like, uh, emergency cases, yeah. and that's the end of Jewish immigration. Correct. So you've got 12 million Jews in Europe. In 1939, the British say we'll allow 75,000 75, more. And that's yeah. it. No more Jews. Right. So but, but it's also specifically to keep the, the ratio of Arabs right. to Jews because as this majority will become, Because this will become an Arab state. Right. But again, and which, again well, I think before— the Arab Sea is sort of a commitment that they will have an Arab state called Palestine. Right. But before—but by the way, before—I mean, again, this is, is why I think is missing in the Mosaic article. And as much as we can blame the British, we also have to understand where it's coming from. Because we see the World War II— as a the Holocaust, they're seeing it. Okay, we got to keep placate the Arabs so they don't go over to the German side. Right. They see the war coming, and 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 they don't point that out in the mosaic. And I think they really place the British as being just appeasers to the Arabs without any context of what's happening in the bigger in the bigger picture. And I think it's reasonable. I think that's reason. You know, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, we say it a lot, but states or nations act act in their own benefit. Right. It wasn't they hated the Jews. It, it would be hard to be in, uh, in, the, in the British foreign ministry and argue that they should let as many Jews as want get into Palestine. Right. It's just terrible policy for the right. UK. It's not just to keep quiet in Palestine. It probably, which is why Zionism is based on the idea that ethno-national groups have to rule themselves oh, because you will, be, you will be somebody else's exactly. lower priority that they will not take care right. of you. And that, Ask the Kurds. And that's exactly exactly where it was going. The, the exact, exact same thing. Just like that, that is the proof that we need our own home because the, the British acted in their own, what they perceived to be their own interest. We can argue maybe it was or was, but perceived to be their own interest. I, I don't and know how we you need argue to, that it wasn't in their interest to shut Jewish immigration. How does well, it help the Brits? Well, there's one argument that could say that the then Jews ended up going to some other countries as well, such as Britain, such as the United States. Yeah. And they also didn't want them there, particularly. They didn't want to have immigrants coming into their country. So that in one sense, you could say they'd have been better off letting them all into Israel, because well, then really, the problem is far away from them, and they don't have to deal with it. In the way governments work, so there's a, there's a department in, in, in the foreign ministry that's dealing with the Middle East, either as the large well, group or in subgroups. It's not good Middle East policy to take off the Arabs. It just isn't. Right. Look, look the, the British are playing this card, and this is the card they're playing. The Jews have no other choice, so the Jews aren't going to go against us. Right. The Arabs have another choice. But in the end of the day, at least Hajj Amin Hussein does take that other choice. He goes with Germany. Well, which shows you that the with, British you know, concern that the Arabs might go towards Germany yeah. is a very realistic concern. Correct. Arabs do. Some Correct. Arabs do decide to go with the Nazis. Correct. And the Jews are not going to go with the Nazis. Correct. So we don't have to do anything to keep right. the Jews on our side. 
Right. They are going to be our, our allies no matter what. By the way, from a historical perspective, sometimes it feels shocking that some of the Jewish underground groups are going to start fighting the British in Palestine during World War II. Right. Whereas Ben-Gurion's official thing for the largest group is, we'll fight the white paper like there's no war. We'll fight the war like there's no white paper. We won't fight the British right. as they're fighting the Nazis, right. but we will try to illegally smuggle in as many right. Jews as Illegal immigration. But I want to go back to... Um, Peel. Uh, yeah, I want to go back to Peel, and now I totally forgot when I wanted to go back to I just thought, uh, so you go fill time, and I'll try and think about where. Well, I yeah. started thinking of Emma Peel, which is not from history, but from the old show, The Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, back to the comics. That's not a comic, uh, that was uh, a cool TV show. A uh, cool TV show, I didn't watch it. My kids um, like the comics, The Avengers, they're reading them at the moment. Different than the comic, The Avengers, which uh, is great, but it's not, it wasn't, there was a TV show also in the 60s when The Avengers comic book was created. That was Emma Peel and what was his name? Two British. It was a British spy TV okay. show. Those Brits. Um, oh, I was going to say that about that the, about self determination and the importance of self determination. That's exactly the that's exactly the point of why we we need our state. Oh, and um, the the taking the that small piece of land. The interesting thing is there were non-Jewish British Zionists such as Churchill himself who was the, the you know the quintessential British Zion, Zionist who argued against the Peel Commission and two state and this two state solution he told the Jews don't take it you can't he said you can't trust the British right, right. that's not gonna not gonna Although happen I, so Churchill interestingly in, the, in, in, in this thing about why self-determination is necessary it was Churchill in 22 that drew a line down the Jordan River and said everything east will be an he yeah. so which Jabotinsky even as late as the thirties late thirties says no 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 that's part of the Jewish homeland that what becomes what what Churchill creates as Transjordan as a Jew a non Jewish Arab area to become the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan at some point in the future Jabotinsky looks at what Churchill did there as harmful to the Zionist cause and a betrayal. Right, uh, but Jabotinsky uh, is uh, there's a, a bunch of things. Also, the Churchill White Paper of 22, he also That's saw the, as yeah. a betrayal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The White Paper of limiting to reduce of immigration, immigration. Into, except for economic yeah. absorptive capacity. Bidu, he, he, but but that was Churchill's with the main Zionist group, Ben Gurion group, and well, Ben Gurion, which Ben Gurion reads as well. As long as we keep building the economy around them, we can bring as no, many as we want. Which not, is, I don't not only that, no, they also the other, they also agree with the basic idea that yeah. they don't want to collapse the right. economy. Right, 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 right. They don't want to collapse the economy so that they bring in the. I guess the point I'm making is, and it, it goes to the self rule point, is that even your friends don't always put your interests. I mean, I just watched this. Yeah, but I'm saying I think Churchill would say this was in the Jewish interest. This was a Zionist interest. I don't think he thought he was going against Zionist interest there. I don't know how a- many Zionists was- in 1922 said making everything east of the Jordan Judenrein was in the Zionist interest. I don't, know, I don't remember what I. I don't remember the reactions of Ben Gurion to those, but they certainly were into the certificate system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They believe the certificate they system was the. Yeah. Um, I mean that was done until in, you the know. white paper, and then the, when they saw the British until the thirty nine white paper, thirty nine white paper, and they saw the British is turning on them, and then during and after the war, they thought now the British should come back around and they'll be on our side again, right? And they'll help us build a Jewish. By the way, state. it wasn't after the war; it was in the war, nineteen forty three Biltmore platform, which was the Kielu, the Zionist Congress during the war. Says that we have to work with the, with the allies in tandem 
because then we will be able to get they will they will give us a state afterwards because we're there that we are their allies. But after the war, when uh, shoot, what's his name? Something the even foreign, was the British Foreign Secretary after the war when the, when the Churchill government falls? Uh, um, the one who was killed? No. Bevan, Ernst Bevan. Bevan, Bevan yeah. Bevan, they come to him after the Holocaust and after everything, and they go, okay, now can we bring people in? Yeah. And he says, you Jews are going to be in big trouble if you start using the Holocaust to cut to the head of the queue. Yeah. There will be no increase. And, and the, the, the leadership of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Jews in Palestine were shocked. Yeah, and they, course. for a time, join the underground revolt against the British yeah. because they see this as an absolute betrayal. So that lesson comes in dribs and drabs to Ben-Gurion. Yeah, of course, which did not. To Hillel Cook, or uh, as he's known as Peter uh, Bergson, Peter Bergson, who uh, who after the Biltmore Conference in '43 breaks off from the Zionists, saying, "What are you doing?" Because they the the Zionist leadership who's in America basically says, "Let's we'll play along with the Allies, and we won't work for for uh, saving the Jews of Europe either by trying to get them out, because um, the priority is building the state after the war," um, and. Uh, you know, That's why everyone says that, different countries or different cultures created the the aphorism, you know, I, the the curse that you should be alive during interesting times. Oh yeah, well, I usually hear it as a Chinese. Uh, yeah, I often hear it that way, but I don't know what it is yeah. from but a fortune cookie or something like yeah. that. Yeah, but it's uh, it, there's something to that, right? I mean, the Jewish leadership at that time have to make really rough decisions. Sure. Oh, my God. It puts everybody on. And, and they're making rough decisions with only not really comprehending the whole picture. Because you can never really comprehend the whole picture in when you're in the moment. Yeah, um, we have a funny feeling that our but leaders like know people, what's going yeah. on and they make their decisions knowing what's really happening. They don't. They don't. <laughs> but, 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 and then what always is the problem is when you have people like Peter Berkson slash Hillel Cook who, who – does see what's going on, or we said, as you said, Jabotinsky in thirty, whatever. I think it was thirty-eight that that talk. Oh yeah, above thirty-eight, whatever. Could be. Um, uh, but uh, whatever. Um, who who like, talk about the catastrophe coming? There are others also, obviously. Um, Captain Elson in the twenties, or uh, well, uh, the fact that they don't know the scale of what's coming to the Jews of Europe doesn't mean that they don't know the Jews of Europe are in desperate trouble. Yeah, yeah, and for need sure. a place to go for sure. In other words, just because you can't predict the Holocaust doesn't mean right. that Jews need a better place to live than Europe. You know that. They all know that. That's why they and, moved away from Europe right. and are trying to build a Jewish state. And so even a piece of that little state to, to many is, is, is really worth it. In the, and the Zionist Congress of whatever, I forget what year it was, the Zionist Congress um, uh, ratifies the acceptance of uh, the idea of partition. Well, the, qu- the question is this, though. If it's, not cons- if it's not considered to be a realistic option, whatever the size or the number of people Peel. who are going to come and live there, yeah, Peel or any other kind of partition plan, if it's not considered to be realistic in terms of absorbing the number of people who are going to live there, then what's the point? You could say, like Ben Gurion, oh, let's take a foothold and try and hold on to it. Or you could say it's, it's just to show. Like, it's just to pretend, Keila, that we're giving recognizing the Jews' right to live here and that they should have a place. But really, if it's not going to serve a practical purpose, you were talking about anti-Semitism, let's put, about let's put it this way. If there's no purpose to it, then why bother? Why did they get so excited over Balfour that was a totally ambiguous, non-specific statement of a government that wasn't even controlling Palestine? Because it, it, Palestine. it made a recognition, it made a theoretical recognition of a concept. 
Whereas when you're offering someone something practical, but the practical thing isn't worth having. So the, the first time in 2,000 years that Jews are saying, here, you can have sovereignty on this piece of land. Which one are you talking about? Peel or Peel. Balfour? Okay. Peel. You can have, no, Bal, no, I'm saying they're so excited about Balfour, but it's so ambiguous and nonspecific, and it's only this country statement that really, you know, who are they? Q, the British Empire, but still. So if that gets people excited, I mean, you think the idea of even getting a foothold to, to, to call something your own in sovereignty would 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 well, thrill. Let's take your thought experiment further. What if it right? worked? What if they had done it? The Jews took their section. The Arabs took their section, and those that was Israel and Palestine. Well, I don't yeah. think anybody. Okay. What would have happened? I'm going to backtrack what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because what? So I'll say what I was going to say. It, it, it was basically. It's like, for example, if I say to you, um, I'm going to bring you a present. You say, woohoo, I'm going to get a gift. That's awesome, right? And then the next day I turn up with like one of those free ketchup packets or something from the burger shop. You're like, this is my present. What am I supposed to do with this? I would say there's a parallel there between that and the kind of partition plan both sides were being offered. It wasn't just a crazy, weird, small nothingness that was being offered to the Zionists. It was also being offered to the Arabs. Like They thought that they should have control over the whole land, Right. So now to be offered just a, ke- a, pe- a bag of ketchup as opposed to the ketchup, the fries, the burger, the soda, and everything together is a huge disappointment. Yeah, life is full of disappointment, and you take what you can get, and you make it work. Or no, but I think that's a new ask- disappointment. You don't I, take I think it. that that's, and I actually see... Well, most Zionists don't like the pills. They, they don't want it. No, but, but what we do see, I think actually something that comes out here in the appeal that we see, I think to this day, which is a distinction between Arab leadership and <coughs> Palestinian leadership and and Jewish-Israeli leadership is a real practical, like, practicalism, right? You know, that that is leading. Whereas many, many do not like it, and many vote against it. The main voice, like Ben-Gurion... The decision of the final leadership Ben-Gurion is lead-pushing... The pragmatists. Let's be pragmatists. Let's take what we can get. Real politics, practical Zionism means we take what we can get and we build from there. Whereas the Arab leadership is an all-or-nothing Right, we see that again and again in Palestine. It's all well, nothing. It's all minor or nothing. That the Jews want peace in a state, and the Palestinians want justice. justice. Right, and they, to them, justice is defined as the whole land. Right. And Jews are willing to compromise for peace. And that's why we have we keep and, coming to loggerheads. Yeah. and so we see, so we see this in the middle after the Peel Commission. There was a resurgence of the Arab revolt. Right, there was a calming down of it. That economic boycott stopped. This until thirty nine. Until yeah. thirty nine, and thousands are killed, mostly Arabs, and actually most of the most of the Arabs are killed by Arabs. Right. In other words, it was an also a effort of the of the of the of the Mufti to silence the moderate and dissenting voices. Then you have the next largest group of Arabs were killed by uh, Brits, and then by, by Jews in self defense. Right. Which is a tiny. Which it's part of, and, and that's also part of the story that doesn't get right adequately understood. I think right, and again, the Brits and the Jews are working working together. That's when the Brits create the very famous Palmach units, right? Um, and uh, Lord Wingate, Lord Wingate. Well, exactly. But that, but that's partially why the Jews, even the Zionists who are working for Jewish statehood, are having trouble. With this concept, right, the precursors of the Palmach, sorry, the, yeah, 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 the 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 idea that well, if we work with them, then they'll work with us. That's not realpolitik. It's right. just not. 
right? Yeah. I think it doesn't that depend on this on the situation? Yeah, like my enemy's enemy is my friend is also a yeah. As long as you understand that if tomorrow you're the enemy, he will turn around and kill you. Right. And that's the, <laughs> the the issue. Isn't well now that we've worked together, we can so stay nicely. Friends. You owe me one. Right. No. I washed you. Uh, you know, I scratch your back. Now you'll scratch my back. Well, it depends. Do you is really it my think, interest to scratch your back? Do you really think the Zionist leadership were that naive? It seems uh, to me they weren't. What naive in what? In the sense that they thought that now the Brits were going to be their best buddies, because it doesn't seem to me that they ever suspected that. Yeah, there were those who absolutely Weitzman uh, for sure. Weitzman was a Brit. No, I, know, I mean, as a, as a Zionists sense. are. Well, that's you know the the. I, I don't think someone like I don't think like Ben Gurion. Uh, ben Gurion was no naive guy. I don't think he was there, but but like there is a sense, you know, that that they are, you know, they thought the Labour Party coming they, in, that for sure, even Ben Gurion, yeah. when the Labour Party came in after World yeah. War Two, Ben Gurion thought, okay, finally, finally, right, they're going to work with us. We're socialists. They're socialists. Ah, so that's we different. We fought with them in World War Two, but that's yeah. different we, because we that's had a based Jewish on brigade. That's based on being the same political orientation. No, not only. It was also. It was also the. But it's the, part of like the Zionist movement definitely thought as allies and and that the Arabs went against them. You know that the Mufti was leading troops with the with in Hitler in Bosnia. I mean, uh, they definitely thought that the the British. Uh, I don't know. Were it's, on it, it seems to me that from the beginning, the whole concept of self determination. Is one is that you don't rely on anybody, including your friends. But that's yeah, a Jabotinsky yeah. attitude. Absolutely, and I, and I, and I think that. That's what was Jabotinsky arguing against? In what sense? In whether to be allies with the Brits, or the, I mean, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what he was arguing, so, against, which means there was a consensus right. that you can create friends and work with them, and that will benefit you. And Jabotinsky was saying, "No, you can't," and probably that was too dramatic. Uh, you know, so maybe it was an extreme perspective that he had, but the, the Look, reasoning also, is, yeah. is something that's continued throughout Israeli foreign policy from from the time the state was founded, that there's always been this sense of, yes, we have people who are sort of our allies, but ultimately we're going to take care of things ourselves. Like in 1956 when Israel withdrew from the Sinai and handed over protecting Israel's southern border to the United Nations. <laughs> I knew you were going to come up with something. <laughs> now what? Right? No, no, but they that's that because saying, it's politics. It's, it's, what? That's politics. That's I not understand. because they're giving up. They're, they know that they have to no, but bow Israel down said, to okay, America. They have to they bow down to America. into that position, but yeah. they didn't say that's not a tenable position. We, on principle, only protect ourselves. We will not allow any ally to provide us protection. We only protect ourselves. They said, okay, fine, we'll withdraw. The UN will take over, and we'll have the, the UN... Uh, yeah, it's not protecting. They're not saying is it that the UN is going to protect Israel. It's a buffer zone, just like we have a buffer zone up in the Golan Heights now. Those aren't is not Israel but saying we're. But going it to wasn't be, a buffer zone. It was a fake was, buffer zone. Was supposed to. That was the idea. It's a buffer zone. But the, uh, what I'm saying is the Israeli consensus was, oh, at least we have a buffer zone. No, you didn't. Right, but they weren't. Give, they weren't abdicating self defense. That. Saying that's the, what I thought he was at. That is abdicating self-defense. No, it's not. A UN-provided buffer zone is abdicating self-defense. No, self-defense would be saying I'm putting... Because in after, after, what is that, 11 years or 10 years, whatever it is, the, uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser says, you guys got to get out of here. And the UN says, you have no right to talk about us. We were set up as a buffer zone between you and Israel. Just for being so rude, we're all going to leave. And they all pack up their things and they leave. And Egypt <laughs> mobilizes along the Israeli border. So a fake buffer zone is not a buffer zone. But it's not, I'm just it's saying. It's a bluff buff. 
That may be true, but it's still not abdicating self-defense. It's a bluffer zone. I I don't think you're abdicating self-defense. That's like saying, uh, I'm going to draw a picture... Of a, of, a, of, a, of a lock no, if I was, on my door. No, I was advocating self-defense, I, I would say, oh, I'm trusting you. They, they didn't trust that you went. They were set up. They were ready to no, go. That's, that's they were not. They had to mobilize. No, but they still have a border. You still have, you still have your defense on your border. You still they didn't ready. shut down the Israeli army. Exactly. They said. Why so, did they agree to allow the United Nations to run the buffer? Why didn't because, Israel occupy the Sinai because, and say, Because we America said, get your tuchas out of there. Or, Nahum, or we're gonna, it's real politics. They, and they, after 67. They felt, and after 67. They felt it was more practical and at that point. 67, they thought when the Security Council said to Israel, you must yeah. withdraw from all conquered lands, Israel said, nothing doing. We occupy the Sinai and the will Americans, not leave until we have Because Johnson treaty. didn't say, get out. The United Nations is not involved in 242? No, the United Nations isn't involved in 242. And the United States is not part of the Security Council? It, they are, but 242 does not say, get out. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. You have to withdraw from all. It says in, in the negotiations, you'll get peace. And this and it's a negotiated. It's a uh, negotiated. It's a, it's a is Israel has to withdraw from all conquered the, territories. They're not mutually exclude. They're not mutual. They're not independent of each other. Israel will withdraw. Israel fan. I like Israel. I Israel understand withdraw that. But the at, as part of this, they'll withdraw. They'll get X. So X, you're y, saying. And Z. So your argument is in '67 there was no pressure from America or the nations of the world for Israel to withdraw from the Sinai. I, America. I would not say the nations of the world. America, America didn't put any pressure on Israel Amer- to withdraw from the Sinai. Uh, I, w- I do not. I, they did not give an unequivocal get out of the Sinai like what's his name did in '56. Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Thank you. No, I don't think they did. Right. And if they had, I think Israel would have. I don't. I do. I think they would go to Sinai. Not out of Yehudah Shamron necessarily, but out of Sinai. No, I'm talking about the Sinai. I'm saying out of Sinai they would have. I don't think in 67 Israeli they did because they, Hold on. I don't think Israeli Because in 73 they tell them to pull back. They tell them to pull back out and, they tell them, and when they're going into Damascus, they tell them to pull back. And That's different. Israel didn't want to take over. No, but I'm saying they say don't even, you know. I understand. I, I'm saying I think Israel, I when Israel gets directives from the United States, they do it. I don't think I any... I don't think any Israeli prime minister could have turned around to the Israeli people in 67 and say, we'll accept a new UN peacekeeping force in the Sinai. I, Lo, Baba Cheshbon, nobody I, was willing to I, do I, it. I, and that may be partially I, that's why. That's probably why Johnson didn't give the directive. There either. you go. But it's, so both, the, but, so but the, it's not... The lesson of 56 is different than the lesson. 67 is the lesson that 56 is garbage. I think also Johnson didn't want to. I think he felt that the Arabs deserved it. Maybe I'm just pontificating here, but... But that's what you get to do on a podcast. <laughs> that's the whole point of a podcast. We're in the teacher's lounge. We can talk about that's whatever it. we want. A, but, but the bottom line is, what Israel did after 56 would not have done after 67. Would not have done. I don't, I don't think it was politically or militarily possible to, get, to say, yeah. now we'll trust the UN again. And I don't think the UN was even well, offering it. By the way, the UN didn't offer it. But the UN makes buffer zones in Kenetra. They make you buffer zones all over no, the I'm place. Why they could, the, some, it's not like the UN, you know. But yeah, the UN not, didn't offer exactly because the situation has changed. What changed? What? The, besides the fact that they were uh, Nasser called the bluff, and it was a it was a fake no, buffer zone. No, also the Arabs have lost any kind of power. Kenetra is not providing security for the. By the way, they're at, they're they're also just trying to prevent acts of violence. It's not it's not keeping an no, army at bay from Israel's border. The the well. Has Israel ever actually today with Iran and what's going on at the Israel northern uh, border? Fine, fine, fine. But has Israel ever <laughs> has yeah. Israel ever again since fifty six handed any other nation the the ability to buffer and protect its border? 
since 56. Yeah. And well, again, I mean, you have wise Kenetri. You're just saying, oh, it's not preventing. But that's a is that is that to prevent Jordan from invading Jerusalem? It's Syria. Kenetri Syria. Yeah. 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 Is it Syria? Yeah, I mean, ostensibly that's the idea. I thought it's an. I thought it's to watch to make and sure also that the Lebanese. No, what about Lebanon? To observe the hostilities. What, is what about, about Lebanon? Lebanon? What about the Lebanese border? What about it? The UN's there also. I mean, they're not doing a good job. They're not but doing anything. The UN's in Hebron. The UN's all over the place. No, 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 that I'm pretty sure that that's what the, that, that that that's a very different wow. mission on the Lebanese border and Kenetra. So I don't know how the UN defines it, but Israel does not accept their place there as providing security at the border. Where? Anywhere. When there's rockets fired from Lebanon into Israel, Israel doesn't go. Well, we'll just have to let the UN handle it. Well, that's not necessarily true. They do file complaints at the UN, and you know they do all kinds of. And the army things. says, "Well, we'll wait for the complaints to come back before we strike." I have to remember, back. I have to go back over the different stuff going on in the '60s, but but. Certainly, Israel. That's what I'm saying. That's my point. Is that the, the, you're exactly arguing my point that even though the UN is in the buffer there, Israel's not abdicating their defense to the UN. In, in 56, they did. When I brought uh, up this original uh, point, I wasn't just talking about like the physical borders of the country. I was talking in in the sense of um, like arming itself and how it reacted to threats from overseas and things like that. Like, for example, we saw with when they blew up the nuclear reactor in Iraq. They could have said, "All right, we'll wait for the United States to take care of it. Wait for somebody else to take. We'll wait for somebody else to take care of it." They didn't. They did it themselves. They went. They sent a mission in, and they blew up the reactor themselves. Right. That's always been the policy. Now, maybe my view on this has been colored by reading too many Mossad spy novels and things like that. It's very possible. <laughs> but there's very much this theory of we are in charge of our own destiny now. Now we're self-determination. Now we're our own, our own nation. We're not going to hang around and wait for the United States or the United Nations or whoever else. To do what needs to be done, we're going to do it ourselves, and I think that is the that that is the feeling that permeated right from the beginning. Even if you're saying that there were some policy shifts uh, under Ben Gurion when the when the Labour Party came into the British government after World War Two, etc., I think that has been the founding part almost of Zionism. Right? The, I think that I think that the language goes back to the founding of Zionism. I think you're correct. The way I understand history is that the dawning of how that is going to be uh, applied in reality. Was a, in other words, what? So is Israel, has Israel stopped buying weapons from any other country? No, but now it's also in the position of selling weapons to other countries and deciding That's true. and deciding which countries are they so going Israel to arm. Works with other countries. Right, but it's for their own material gain as well. And that's the and that's the question. At what point are you working? By, there are plenty of Israelis. And I don't necessarily agree with this, but there are plenty of Israelis who argue that having our weapons made overseas and purchased is not in Israel's interest at all, and Israel should be making its own airplanes and tanks and and and, and totally not buying. So that it becomes a question of we accept the principle. Now, to what degree? What degree are you working with an ally, really? And to what degree do you have to be independent? And that has been shifting over the decades. And, and part of the fight in the Zionist movement was, how much do we work with the Brits? First of all, in World War I, do we work with the Brits or do we work with the Turks? And then after World War I, how much, how closely how do we rely on the... How much do we create the state through working with England versus just auto-emancipate and create our own state? That argument of where to draw that line is always a debate within the Zionist world to this day. It's also right. ma- that's a matter of the real politics that's going on. Right. That's and I, I, I mean, 
You have people who say BB should ignore America and the UN completely, and people who say BB is nowhere near in line enough with the international consensus or the U.S. demands. So that's always it's like anything else. You state a principle, and it's in the, the devil's in the details. How do you apply that principle? How do we get up from there to, from peel to there? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun journey there. We got there. It is because peel is really about compromise. It's about compromise. Yeah. You have your vision exactly. and you have your principles. And, and everybody knows that you will not get everything on your wish list. You have to prioritize your wish list from in, you know, essentials to um, wishes. And then intelligent, well-meaning people can disagree about where that line is drawn. I think it comes back to something you like to talk about a lot, uh, Mike, which is... I like to talk about a lot. Of stuff. Yeah, I know. But this is one of your ongoing mantras. Which is strategy versus tactics. Yeah. Which is the strategy, the you know the overall strategy is self determination, self reliance. The tactic, right, is how do you get to that, and how do you best get to that? And one of the tactics along the way, which Ben Gurion was the school of thought, was from practical Zionism. And practical Zionism says, bit by bit, get people on the ground, get people on the ground, put on the farm, do what you can do, get the next piece, get the next piece, you get a piece of land in the peel, take that. Do what you can. You get partition plan in 1947. Let's take that. It doesn't include Jerusalem. We'll deal with that. Don't worry. You know, and it's that. That that is, I think. Um, uh, and, I, and I think I think that Herzl is saying we have to work with the international community to make this happen using international norms. It's Jabotinsky saying, no, we don't. Just do whatever we want to make it we happen. We have to just do it ourselves. And if anybody wants to help us on that, that's great. That's good for them. We'll take their help. But it's always on, only on our terms. And so, that spectrum of debate exists today. Since we've already gone way over time, I'm just going to keep pushing it. So would you say that many pe- most people will say, well, Jabotinsky is revisionist Zionism, revising Herzl's political Zionism. And the way you're talking now is it sounds like you see Jabotinsky more like a Pinsker Zionist. I think Much more auto-emancipation than... Uh, as always, not always, but as often happens in these arguments, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm telling you what I think they thought. In other words, <laughs> I think, I think, I think exa- sort of to my, Matt's point, I think Jabotinsky said... Well, it's your said, parish. Let's put that. That, not, my, it's, my, it's my commentary on how I understood what they were thinking, exactly. which is my weird way of self-deceiving myself to think <laughs> that it's more than an opinion. But it's basically Jabotinsky said, let's go back to first principles and restart at the fundamentals. Because we've gone off track. It's a redefinition of back to first principles. If Herzl was alive, would he agree with me? I don't know. But if, if, I, if I stick to his principles and Pinsker's principles, you'd come to my conclusion. I, what I'm arguing, I think is what Jabotinsky was saying, is the purest formulation of the, the basic principles. And, of course, he was willing to work and compromise with Ben-Gurion. When Ben-Gurion was willing to work, compromise with him. Which happened very briefly, but it did happen. And that's, again, an ex- another example of real politics. Yeah, that's right. They realized they needed right. each other, and they worked together. And then yeah. apparently built like an actual mutual respect, at least yes. briefly, in London, I think. Wasn't it? Didn't they meet in London? Yeah, uh, 31 or 2 or something like that. Yeah. They and they made a, uh, they made some headway, which eventually yeah. happened pretty, I guess, very quickly. quickly I should yeah. say eventually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, ooh, we went. We went from Peel, and we to, uh, we did a whole. Uh, we got to the Iraqi nuclear reactor somehow. Yeah. <laughs> we got it's a real trip around the Middle East. It's a real teachers' lounge. We have no consistent thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, These are teachers' lounge. Now we just need a teachers' lounge coffee machine with us, <laughs> and we'll be well away.
That's what's missing. <laughs> the episodes are always better when we have more coffee. Um, thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Matt. My pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you guys again soon. Oh, you're in the team, man. You're in the team. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Chag Sameach. Uh, we're recording. It's before uh, Sukkot of 5778, 2017. So if you listen beforehand, we wish you a good Sukkot. And if not, we wish you a good whatever, man. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Go good, man. Good October. October fest. Or November, December. I don't know yeah. what you're downloading this. <laughs> we get a lot of back downloads. Welcome to 2033 for right. those who are listening exactly. now. That's right. Please recommend us. Please pass us along. And rate us. Rate us on iTunes, please. Thank you. Bye-bye. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, you can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at juisraelgap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And if you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys. Thank you.